Episode 100 of Moped Outlaws. Yeah. If we were smart, we would have had an MP3 of crowd cheering and a big crowd. Ah, fireworks going off. Well, that's part of the fun is that we aren't smart. That's the brilliant part. Yeah. Oddly <laughs> enough, the duality of our show is two dummies make a brilliant show. <laughs> yeah, it was really fun. Like, one of the things that we tested out for episode 100 that you guys need, are going to get to hear is we tested the concept of the the blue highway process. We yeah. went out and we met people and we talked to them and they had no idea we were coming and we had no idea we were coming either. Yeah. Um, it was fun. Yeah, it really was. It was, I still get a high when I think on it and um, the surprise of it was brilliant. Like I think, um, our experience with Matthew, the librarian, was incredible, not just for the aspects of his knowledge of library systems and their goals and what he, you know, but also your um, interacting with them from human to human. I don't want to spoil it, but there was like a great lesson of I know everyone's going to cough up into the back of their throat, but our woke society, there, there's a, there was, I think what we experienced at the library gives merit to that statement woke. Well, yeah. And we shouldn't get caught up in what the way people throw around labels and to how things get co-opted because you and I are both on a path of awakening and there's no reason that we should feel anything about the word woke that's derogatory, dismissive, or any of that. That's just someone else's ploy to treat, to try and keep from hiding from the miracle. And yeah, my conversation with Matthew had a vulnerable moment where I stood for my values with yeah. him. And that, that, and whenever we are vulnerable and stand up for our values, it's, it's a great gateway to human connection. And he stepped right up credit to him and, that's what it's, I was going to say is what was beautiful of the moment is it was a your vulnerability was appropriate. And I learned from the experience in a very uplifting, supportive way. It wasn't like, oh, no, foot and mouth. It was like a very human, like, hey, here we are. Here we are in the tribe human. Yeah, this show has so much range in it. Like there's this incredible enthusiasm with talking with the folks from Red Whale. There's this intensity that comes from meeting James. Yeah. And there's this like celebration of music that comes with taking a little trip on um, Record Store Day down yeah. to uh, Mill Valley Music. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was also very cool that it was Earth Day, it was Record Store Day, it was our 100th recording. Just yeah. a whole lot of love going on that day. 
Yeah. And be sure and stick around for the end for kind of a special um, thing. Greg and I um, kind of close up the show and there's a little bit of a surprise for those of you who have what it takes to stay all the way through the show. So here we go. Episode 100. All right. We're here with uh, our uh, 100th episode, and this is our beginning. We're out in the world, and we're here with, uh, what's your name? My name is Niall. Niall. And I'm working here at Red Whale Coffee. Yes, sir. And we also have the honor of the owner here of Red Whale. Yep, Sean. Sean. Boyd. Yeah. Right. Nice to meet you, man. Yeah, Great you spot, too. by Thank the you. way. Appreciate it. We've been coming here for a long time. In fact, uh, that, that when we decided what to do for our first hundred, our hundredth anniversary, our hundredth podcast was, well, let's start at Red Whale nice. in Carolina because there's a community feeling here. There's like a yep. vibe here, and that's just awesome. And that's what we're all about with the podcast. I would agree. Yeah, yeah. that's that's what we really project, and we're really involved in our community too. So. Yeah, big time. Thanks and, for recognizing and, that. And the whole idea about Moped Outlaws is like to have a sense of humor about yourself, right? Because you just, right? Moped and Outlaw, oh, yeah. there's kind of a contrast oh, yeah. there, right? So we <laughs> I, talk I, I about... I Peugeot. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> nice. And my first car was a Peugeot, not a, not a, not a, uh, not a moped, though. <laughs> uh. Yeah, so it's lighthearted. Sometimes we talk about issues of the day and stuff like that. And, cool. and we just have a couple of, you know, easy questions if we run out of things to talk about. But let's talk about... What made you start Red Whale? Uh, need. Really? Yeah. yeah, I lived actually uh, when I, I'm Californian, moved to Canada back in uh, 2003. Actually, two, in 99, I moved back to Canada. I started Red Whale in 2003, uh, but the coffee where I was living was just horrible. I had a restaurant bar, and I just couldn't find anything that was halfway decent. So I was like, there's got to be a better way to do this. So I started Red Whale, but the, the whale actually came from... Um, what I wanted, but uh, my dad and my my uncle had a bar in Laguna Beach, which I uh, used to work at, and it had a whale that was associated with it called the Marine Room down Laguna, one of the oldest bars in Laguna, and uh, so that whale that they had a whale there that was associated that my dad's cousin designed, and I had that set up with my bar and restaurant. But then when I got into coffee, I wanted to change all that. So I changed from that whale and I listed my cousin who was working for Disney at the time doing graphic design. And uh, I said, I want a whale kind of like this whale, but different. And I want a blue one and I want a red one. And he's like, okay. And so he did up the whale and we made one edit to it and the rest oh, is history. Yeah, Branding I, done. Totally. And when, when I started Red Whale, if you went out and did a Google search, there's like three things that came back. Literally only three things that came back. Now you go out and do a Google search for Red Whale, there's tons of stuff that comes back. It's amazing. So did you uh, trademark Red Whale? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Registered. You have to chase people down? I have. I've uh, won. I've actually taken it to, uh, there was a company in, in Reno, unfortunately. He, he named his coffee company Blue Whale Coffee. And uh, I tried to get him to change it just to Blue Whale Cafe. Wouldn't do that. So we actually had to press it. And, you know, we ended up going to uh, the courts, the federal courts in, uh, in Reno, which was kind of bucket list kind of thing. And uh, ended up winning. You know, we had the, the preliminary judge was like 98% in our favor. 
and they still wanted to push it. So we were like, okay. So that was, but then there was also somebody opened a Red Whale wine bar in the East Bay before that, and I ended up having to send him cease and desist and all that stuff too. Yeah, there's a friend of mine that's a once you trademark something, you have a responsibility to protect it. Yeah, you have to your IP. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. You have to prove use. Well, you also have to pursue. Yeah. You have to say consistent with it. Yeah, absolutely. And if you don't, then you can lose right, it. Right. Yeah, for sure. So were you in the surfing scene down in Laguna? Um, fifth generation Laguna. And so I've never really been a surfer. I noticed your hat, too. Yeah. Um, um, never really been a surfer. Always been a body surfer, though. Uh, so I've body surfed some major surf breaks and big waves and Do you all happen, that kind of did, stuff. Like, you know... Um, what is it, San Ofri? San Ofri, yeah. Yeah, were yeah. you hanging there? I, I've I've actually surfed that break, but again, that's not really a body surf break. That's right. more of a that's more of a uh, longboard right, or right. yeah, it's, it usually breaks way outside and it's pretty shallow and stuff. So. so just out of curiosity, my brother-in-law is totally down in that area. Brian Ben, yeah, no, uh-uh. no, no, okay. So I want to get you guys involved in the conversation. You work with Blue Whale. Red Whale. What? Red Whale. Red Whale. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> see, I see, know it's perfect. See, that's confusion. Confusion that's right it. there. That's it. Out of here. No. Um, he's laid down a really important idea about it, and you guys work with this group. What do you think is one of the key aspects of this brand and the way you guys serve coffee? The key aspect of this brand is hospitality and taking care of the people in the community and making sure that when they come into our shop, they feel welcome, loved, cared for, and that every time they're going to get the best drink, you know, something handmade and made to order and something that you guys wish for. It's it's about the experience, too. You know, it's uh, it's definitely about the experience that we project, for sure. Yes. And a big part of that is the quality of the coffee. Absolutely. Right? And, like, it's That's amazing. why I got into Master it. Master Roaster oh, yeah. Sean Boyd. It's 20 years this year. Wow. Yeah, Congratulations. Congratulations. 20 years. So. How long have you been here? 2014. All right. Wow. So, wow. Almost yeah. This has been kind of a hidden secret. Like, I just yep. discovered you was about... Our, our slogan on the wall is, best coffee in Marin. Don't tell anybody yeah, about don't it. don't tell anybody. Yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, we don't want, like, lines out the oh, doors. Entitlement oh, crowds. Oh, we've had It happens. <laughs> it happens all the time. We've... Yeah. Well, when we, when we yeah. served coffee with no power... Oh, that was that was that, wow! Hey, well, how did cool. you guys do with the whole COVID thing? Oh God, that was brutal. Yeah, we, we actually opened a store uh, in Mill Valley. Uh, I leased the space out in uh, late uh, 2019. We had our plans and everything on the roll. We had our plans submitted to the county, and then we had the shutdown. Oh. And I had already started paying the landlords uh, rent in Mill Valley, and um, uh, so we got to that point, and I was we had nothing in the space at all. And I told, contacted the landlords immediately and said, hey, you know, we can't continue to pay you guys. Why don't we just put everything, any months that we missed, towards back into lease? I had three five-year leases. I'm a long-term tenant. All my custom manufactured equipment locked down. You know, they couldn't do anything. So in a worldwide, I mean, I was getting equipment from Germany locked down. They couldn't get parts from Italy. I mean, everybody was affected by it in some way. And so... Uh, when we opened, we opened like November 7th, which was about seven days before the secondary shutdown here in Marin. So it was like whack-a-mole. And then when June rolled around, I got a demand letter from our landlords uh, wanting $154,000. And I'm like, yeah, are you guys kidding me? Like, seriously? I mean, we just opened. We're just starting to get some traction, finally, after, you know, multiple shutdowns and uh, brand new business in the area. And um, to 
took the plaza and lifted it up big time and uh beautiful space hardest project i think i've ever worked on and we ended up losing losing the uh the court case they didn't even bother showing up for the first for the first judge kicked it out filed again came back the second judge not so smart couldn't understand frustration of purpose which is if you can't use it you shouldn't pay for it and we weren't even in the space yet so it should have been a pretty much a like no-brainer but uh we presented him with both the, the first you know the California, the federal shutdown, and then the California shutdown, and uh, he wasn't even interested really in either one of those. My, my lawyer didn't do a very good job representing us, so they soaked us, made a decision for one hundred fifty-four thousand plus another forty-six thousand damages, and uh, that the same landlord soaked our neighbors that are still there for seventy-five k, and then the other neighbor right next door to us hundred k. So they got they're trying to get basically almost four hundred k from three small businesses that were sad. all shut down during the pandemic. All shut down. Wow, that's a bummer. Oh, and and they're, they'll get theirs. I mean, that's just, the space is still empty. Yeah. So, how, what do you find for yourself to give you tenacity to continue with a kick to the head like that? One of our one of our mottos here, and it's always been one of my mottos, is determination. You know, if you fall down, get back up. Keep going. You know, even if you got a broken leg, mm-hmm. try and get across the street. I mean, that I was so handicapped during that whole time. I mean, I kept all of our crew employed, didn't let anybody go, um, and it was just you know, it was, it was it heinous. Was, I mean, yep. we went to we went to basically zero, almost almost zero. Yeah, I believe. And how long have you been with him? Six I've years? I've been with him well over six years, yeah. almost seven now, six and a half. So you were a part of that. I oh, built, yeah. helped him build the store, <laughs> helped him close the store, helped him run yeah. the sh- I was running the show down there. Wow, it was sad. Yep, it was like losing losing that store was like losing a family member. And community, and, too. And again, a, you know, huge again. part of community. Landlords aren't even part it of the was, community. No, they don't even live here. They live in the city, and they, it was all about a check for them. Yeah, well, they were, and they were one of they were a huge landlord company that owns multiple strip malls, you know, mm. across the country. Mm. Well, I'm going to shift the vibe for a second. Cool. Today's Earth Day. Yes. <laughs> so, how does Red Whale, and what do you guys think about how your impact is on the planet, and so what do you guys do about we, that? We do use 100 percent biodegradable and compostable cups. We straws, lids, and. Also, we try to have everybody bring in their own cups and mugs, and you know, now that exactly now that COVID's over, and we're trying to get everybody, you know, drinking a cup of coffee with with less waste, and that's important. But also, we also take the time out of our day to, you know, when when there is something going on, we'll go out and we'll go clean up. If there's, you know, cigarette butts on the ground or cigarette butts on the ground in, in front of you know a, a store or a location we'll go out and sweep it up we'll pressure wash the floor we'll make sure everything is you know taken care of and clean and, and our community you know is is well yeah, taken care of yeah and the, i mean the thing is like my philosophy is on on uh stuff with like Earth Day is, is community part you know partic- participating with our community making sure that we're good citizens of for our community and not only globally as well sourcing coffee as, as closely as we can to the producers um, working with the producers when possible uh, and you know sourcing sustainable coffees and what have you and products too so we're always looking for innovation uh, technologies and, and those kind of things so yeah is there anything about this business 
business that has made you a better person, just like a relationship with someone can transform you? Yeah, struggles. Yeah. <laughs> Every day, man. It's, it's, you know, the, I think, you know, one of the hardest things that we have is, is I will always say this is, is employees. You know, that is always the, that is probably the hardest component of this business is people um, and managing people and, you know, clients and customers, guests, um, you know, that's always fun. Um, we get new people in every day uh, that come in and never experienced Red Whale, and, and uh, those kind of things are enlightening and, and love that. And our crew turns people on to good stuff, and you know, being, being engaging, not just being a number, not just being like a you know order number. You know, it's like, hey, John, hey, Susan, you know, how's it going today? And it's that real personal interconnection that we have with people and with our producers, and and just, you know, everybody, like I said, in our community too. We do, we partnered with Sammy Hagar here about uh, five years ago now and uh, he purchases puts fronts of the money I purchase green beans and we take and roast those and supply them to St. Vincent of Paul's uh, which is our local soup kitchen here in, in St. Rafael so we've offset all their costs for coffee which was a, one of their largest line items on a monthly basis for their for the kitchen so um, yeah, that's one of the things we do that's just one of them and we- so. weekly donations there and to the Ritter House and is Sammy engaged with the farmers down well, no, Sammy doesn't have any involvement from that standpoint. That's all for me. So he's um, the financer. He just he just helps with that project. Okay. Um, he comes in all the time, um, and he and I actually were just talking today because they just did a release for Record Store Day for uh, their first album with Van Halen, and um, but uh, um, it's more so he just. That's kind of what he's so busy with everything else he's got going on. This is just something I brought to him and said, hey, can we do something? And he's like, yeah, let's do it. Cool. So, yeah. He does stuff for um, uh, for the uh, food bank as well. He donates like ten grand a year for them. So um, are, are you interacting with the farmers where you get the beef? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been doing this for 20 years. So, right, yeah, right. there's a lot, of, a lot of people I've met over the years, uh, developed relationships with and stuff like that. And that's one of the things that COVID really, you know, really affects. And it's monetary, you know. It hurt us financially, which then in turns it's all trickle down. Right? I mean, it's it's cyclical. You know, it's it's this whole cycle, you know, because we want to go back to those same producers and buy those coffee and coffees from them. You know, they've had to look for other marketplaces and things where you know they can ship to you know China or sorry, like uh, Asia and like shipping it to Japan or Korea or places Dubai, England. You know, where they're going to pay bigger dollars. So being competitive in that environment is tricky. It's Especially really if you lose the consistency of your buying pattern. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, speaking of Sammy, we have a musical question. All right. Well, wait. I have one more question okay, before you, because that's a good closing question. Do you feel now that you've come to a place of solidity where you're you have a next? Because Mill Valley was obviously kind yeah. of a dream. Are, do you have something in mind now? Absolutely. Right. Where we at? We're working on it actually today. I'm I'm executing on on part of it right now, like right. The, the base of it right today. All so, right. yeah. So there's growth in the future. Yes, there is. Amen. I'm glad Always. to hear that because Red Whale, <laughs> this is a good vibe. It's good coffee. It's Thank good you. Scene. It's Thanks. better than good. This is yeah. Kind of, 
Yeah. This is really well, that's kind of the thing, too, is like, and then trying to maintain that consistency because coffee is not consistent. Right. You know, it's, it's a, one of the hardest products, I think, to keep consistent. And it's also, I believe, it's one of the only true grassroots products that's out there. I mean, it really goes back, like I was saying, back to the farmers. You know, we want to continue that cycle all the way back around year after year. Sometimes, though, the producers may not have the greatest year, so their product might not be the greatest next year. Um, or it could be exceptional next year, and we might not be able to afford bringing it in because somebody else is grabbing it. Yeah. So um, it's, it's very, very competitive. So, Do you find that you are sometimes going elbow to elbow with something like Starbucks or Pete's? Those companies, not so much because it's, you know, again, we're quality driven, not, I mean, we're, we still want volume, but we're quality driven where they're not necessarily quality driven. They're volume driven. You know, that's why they have stores on every corner. It's because it's convenient and they just push volume and, but they're not, they're not specialty grade coffee. Like we are, our coffees are always 85 points and above their coffees. Not, not so much. much. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, commercial. Greg and I can definitely taste the difference, man. That's oh, why we've been your coming body here. can tell too. Yeah. Heartburn. Oh God! <laughs> and it tastes like we've we've cupped their coffee side by with ours, and um, you know it's like our coffees get better as they cool. Their coffees get worse as they cool. Mm. So it's, yeah, it's it's a do the side by side comparison, and that we get a lot of people that come back in. You know, we turn them onto our product, and then they go try the other, and they're like. Uh, I can't drink this. Like, uh, uh, but then they come back here and they're like, "Yeah, Sean, you've ruined us." And I'm like, "Sorry, not sorry." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I've done my job. Once you go red, everything else is dread. Right? <laughs> I like that. That's good. <laughs> I would agree. Yeah. So here it is. Okay. Foo Fighters or Eminem? Foo Fighters. One of, one of the one of the guys that I went to school with, Drew Hester, actually plays with Foo Fighters. He was the guy that had the triangle solo. I don't know the triangle. Oh, you got to look it up. All right, you gotta, All right. We'll check that out. Yeah, he, he'll live into infamy for that one. I mean, that was kind of like the. He was like, "What are we gonna do? What am I gonna do?" And they're like, "What's the craziest instrument you could play? You can think of." He's like. Triangle, yeah. <laughs> and he did it. But I mean, even with Taylor and stuff like that, you know, he's from Laguna and all that stuff too. So yeah. hometown boys. Yeah. Yeah. Eminem. I mean, he's. I. I don't. You know, he is what he is. Uh, uh, somebody asked what were your five favorite rappers uh, just this week, and um, I was like, Eminem was one of them. Uh, Run DMC, uh, Tupac. Um, Going back, Curtis Blow, yeah. you know, OG. Mm-hmm. And then, um, God, what was the other one? Oh, Beastie Boys. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, that's it right there. That's <laughs> solid pick. So, yeah, Foo Fighters from, by far. Yeah. I mean, they're just, those guys are amazing. And they're cutting edge, too. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Good why question. don't you just hit us with, like, the how people can find out more about Red Whale? What are this, the socials come, and all that? Come check us out. I mean, Red Whale is, uh, it's Red Whale Coffee on all of our social. So, Facebook, Instagram. We don't do TikTok. As much as everybody wants, I'm like, nope, not going there. Okay, go. You know, Gary V's like, promote and promote, promote. And I'm like, nope, I'm not going to go there. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't. That's the platform I'm not a big fan of. Got but uh, everything else, yes, that's what we're doing. So, redwhalecoffee.com for uh, website and stuff. But other than that, hashtag Red Whale or at Red Whale Coffee. And I think it's worth mentioning that Greg and I are not getting anything out of this relationship other than we love this coffee. And Maybe when a big we, hug. Well, when we decided to do our 100th episode, we came here. Wow, that's awesome. That's how it, how it is. Like, it's such an important part of who we are and what our vibe is and the people here and the flavor. It all just adds up to, like, something special. Thank you. That's really yeah. cool. Very cool. Thanks yeah. for your time. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you.
There's so many last names. So many last names. Yeah. They all have a story. Oh, yeah. 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 So are you doing well? Um, I'm getting better. Yeah. I'm getting better. It, it, it's, it's been real rough. Sorry. It's been real rough. Are you on the streets right now? Um, well, technically, I have an apartment in Mill Valley, but because of all of the stuff that's getting ready to happen there, with even turning it into the first public magic school, it's it was worth. Well, a whole lot could have been. Yeah, that's exactly why I said that the craze saved me. I'm having to get my daddy. So you're doing, <laughs> you're doing a magic school? Yes. That's interesting. Yes. Um, so we're going to turn um, Cougar Pines apartment into Revelations, the, the first public magic school. Or school for magic. Well, magic school, I would say, because school for magic could be cards and tricks, but... This is Earth magic. Universal magic. Universal. Intergalactic, even, so. Yeah. All right. Cool. Interdimensional, maybe, even. Oh, definitely. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. Definitely. So, what are you doing for yourself to keep on this planet so that can happen? Um... Showing them off. Showing what? Showing them off. Showing them off. I'm proud of all of them. All right. Proud of all of them. And I want people to be able to be comfortable with who they are and what they are, wherever they are, and wherever they're from. Mm. Wherever they're from. Did it take you a while to be comfortable with them? Well, for me, my past self told myself this time to wait. Yeah. yeah, my past lifetime. I, I was older than 12. I was about 15 or 16 because it was the same laptop that Etienne, Etienne had let me um, have recycled to me. Um, which I've even paid it forward and recycled it to my cousin. Do you know today is Earth Day? Hey man. Happy Earth Day. I know, right? And we even got a whole new new realm open today. A whole new realm? A whole new realm down there at Camp Compassion. Camp Compassion. Yeah. Wow. Tell me more about Camp Compassion if you don't mind. It's, it's been a big bang. It's just been a big bang. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> That's beautiful. <sighs> It's, it's really awesome to also see, like, everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you have the support of your parents when you started entering this room? Yes. Yes, I was. Um, I was born premature, 
So they used to take off work and come over on their breaks because she was working at Sears over there. What Sears or, or Macy's at that time? Macy's at the time. And then Auntie was at San Rafael and they would come in during their breaks and just put their hands in just to give me human touch. I know. Just to give me human touch. Incubated, because I was incubated for six months after my birth, because I was born um, at six and a half months, out of a full-term 11 months of a pregnancy. Do you find that you are tend to be early when you have places to go? It's good to be at least 15 minutes early. <laughs> at least, because being five minutes late could be a missed meal, which is something that I learned oh. from my dad. Yeah. Door to door marketing. Yeah. Door to door. Because my dad, he introduced, he, James D. McBride Sr., who desegregated the insurance market. Oh, wow. Door to door. Mm. That's a lot of work. They drove here from Texas. Wow. Took them three days. That's crazy. Where did they end up in? Right here in Nevada. Well, Marin County um, in Nevada. Um, bringing people back has been fun, too. Like my therapist, Cindy Axe, who had been dead for 17 years. 17 years. The light would be the light bulb. The knowledge had a, a branding. It used to be an apple, or even actually something more like um, a grapefruit or something, a pomegranate. Something kind of like a pomegranate would be more like what the, the traditional fruit in Mesopotamia. That's wild, because a pomegranate, the juice is in all of those seeds, yep. you know? It's like one of those rare fruits that, in my experience... Usually, the flesh of the fruit is what we... I'm eating. The pomegranate is also a very um, mystical fruit that goes back through the ages. And alchemists and um, people know that its origins in the Middle East and the early parts of, of the, um, Africa and other parts of the Middle East. It's, it's known as like the primordial fruit. Like some people say that the apple isn't what was actually on the tree. It was actually a pomegranate. Yeah. A cat's is like a pomegranate as far as how Phoebe is when we're done. So do you hang here much? Um, I used to. Um, I used to when I was younger. Yeah. <laughs> when I was younger. What found you here today? Besides us finding you. Um... I think you're going to be all right, James. I think it's going to be all right. 
Is there anything more you want to leave, drop a wisdom for the world? check in with you. If there's some emotion you're experiencing, I want you to know it's okay to express it to us. Like we we're present for you as human beings right now. How are you? Are you okay? Yeah. Uh, thank you for your time. Sorry. No, nothing to apologize for. It's all good. Yeah, man. All good. You brought your reality, your trueness. That's all we want. Your humanity. Your magic. <laughs> Alright, we're gonna run along. You good? your name and is it okay to record you for the podcast yes totally my name is matthew i am a librarian here at the city of san rafael public library and yeah what are so what is this like nature of this hundredth podcast that you guys are doing well we moped outlaws is about this idea of the road and getting out there and doing things mm-hmm. and so one of the things we want to do is we want to do the is it the green road tour Blue, blue blue highway blue highway which is like where our maps the blue highways where the highways yeah. off the main right circuit so we're going to get on mopeds and we're going to go on we're going to just randomly talk to people oh nice the, the 100th episode is us just practicing that close to home yeah. So that we and so here we are. See if it works. The San Rafael Public Library and this is like a pop up library kind of. That is how it's still marketed, but we have been here for almost four years now. So I would say the pop up nature is we're planning to be here as long as we're allowed to. So I would say we're past that. Yeah, until they start building the apartments, probably. Yeah, which we hear all kinds of stuff. Like maybe that's in 2040. So who knows? We're not worrying about that right now. Yeah, that's crazy. So they're just going to let this place be sort of whatever it is. For they don't have much choice. Yeah, totally. We're talking about uncovering it, which they spent so much money covering it like a decade ago. So who knows what they're going to do with it? So do you like being a librarian? Yeah, I love it. Um, Ever since I was in high school, I knew. As soon as I started helping in my high school library, I knew this is what I wanted to do, and I just kind of pursued that single-mindedly and totally happy with the outcome. And did you get a library sciences degree or anything yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got my master's degree uh, at the University of Washington, which is where I'm from originally. Um, not from the University of Washington, but from <laughs> Seattle, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, they didn't grow in the tradition of the University of Washington. Yeah, no, though they probably could if they wanted to. Um, <laughs> It's very STEM school. But, yeah, so I studied at UW, and now I am down here. So, yeah. Was it work that brought you down here? 
My partner started doing his PhD at UC Berkeley uh, halfway through the pandemic, so I moved down here in 2020. Did the pandemic challenge your partnership? Well, not as much as I thought it would have, because we were in Seattle during the very first lockdown, and we were in the same room basically with each other, one bedroom apartment for eight weeks solid before we really went out and went anywhere else. So I thought that would be worse than it actually was, and it actually wasn't too bad. So So you think it's helped the relationship, maybe? Um, I would say that it has shown that it is valuable to have a private space where I can, like, get away from my partner for a little bit, but it did not, you know, at least apply all the stress that I thought it might. When we were first coming up to talk to you, I used a pronoun he, and I didn't know how you identified. Mm -hmm. How did you feel about that when that happened? I I corrected myself, right? Yes. How did that go down for you? Yeah, so I used they, them pronouns, and, um, you know, when you work with the public, people look at you and they make an assumption right away, and if I were to get upset every time that happened, like my life would be pretty miserable working with the public. So among my colleagues and my friends and my family, I expect a different level of engagement. But when you're first meeting someone, there are certain social expectations you can expect someone you know, to make. Um, but now that you know, I would you know hold you to a different standard. Right. You know, and I held myself to it as soon as I realized it. Okay, yes. we'll get a gold star. No, it's not about me. It's just like I wanted to know, like, how did it land? Because as as um, as a boomer, I'm walking around still making mistakes like that, and right. it's important to me the impact that I have on people. Well, part of what I, Matthew, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Part of what I appreciate what you just said is you're allowing space for mistakes, and we're human beings. Right. I think it's important to have that space. Totally. And then I appreciate that now that we know, you're going to hold us to that knowledge. Yes, totally. Yeah, I remember, you know, when I was an undergrad, one of my coworkers I worked on campus, um, they use they, them pronouns, and that was a new concept to me at that time. And, like, one time, you know, we were all hanging out, we were talking, and I misgendered them in front of everyone, and I just felt mortified. Um, but I, t- I turned to them and I said, I'm so sorry, it won't happen again. And even though I was embarrassed in that moment, I felt like it was a huge learning experience for me because, yeah, like you said, I think we need the space to be able to make mistakes because that's where we learn how to do something different. So, yeah. So we were talking about how one of the things that drew us in here is that there's a free 3D printer. Mm-hmm. Free and, 3D printer. Right. That's crazy. <laughs> and so we, we could construct a file. Maybe I could do it in like a, uh, I, I know there's some different freebies out there. but And then if I wanted to do it, I would need to come in here and give you the file on a thumb drive or email it to you. How does it work? Yeah. So basically we have certain times of day throughout the week. And we do this at all three of our library locations. City of San Rafael library locations, and you walk in and you can come with a file already chosen, or you can just say, like, I don't know how this works, teach me. And we'll sit down, we'll show you the whole process, um, and we'll get the file prepared for the 3D printer. 
and then basically we'll let you know when it finishes up and you can come get it. Right now the program's totally free, so we try to make that be the case for everything at the library. And how long does that typically take, that process, from file receipt to output? So for us, two or three weeks, because we only have a couple staff members that work on this, the actual physical you know, process of printing normally takes less than five hours. So, yeah. Does the idea of this come from the library wanting to remain a viable aspect of the community? Yeah, so I think that, you know, a lot of what we want to do, so there's this concept called the digital divide, which is the idea that there is, you know, in information economies like the United States, there's a growing divide between people who have high digital literacy and people who do not. And there's a big sort of cleft in quality of life, the types of jobs people can get. Um, It's not good. And so part of what we want to do as the city of San Rafael Library and colleagues all across the country are thinking of the same thing is doing what we can to close that digital divide, especially for kids, to give them a chance in the information economy. And so part of that is exposing people to emergent technologies um, and basically giving them the opportunity without the cost barrier to engage with that stuff. So we provide the 3D printer, which would normally cost hundreds of dollars at the minimum to like have one of your own and then money to operate. We provide VR, which, you know, costs hundreds of dollars to buy a VR headset. Is that what that time travel thing's about? Yeah, that's to clean the VR headsets after people use them. Um, you know, the actual headsets are laying on the floor and over on that table there. Oh, yeah. Crazy. But, yeah, so, you know, these are things that are probably going to be important technologies in the future, and we want people to have the opportunity to, you know, get a chance to play with them for free and start learning about them and thinking about them now, again, especially for kids. Yeah, because information is what we're trading now. It's, it's really an important aspect of how people build their lives in, in our culture and in our economy. And so this, like, books are information, and so mm-hmm. it makes perfect sense to me that information output, like a 3D printer or like a VR setup would provide the opportunity for people to engage at a level that would open doors for children. And if you're listening to this podcast, you can go to tinkercad.com and do create brand new 3D stuff and there's all kinds of tutorials there that are really amazing and I'm, and this is what I taught when I was teaching for um, okay. that other right, right, company right. that I'm not going to mention. <laughs> uh, that, that was amazing Shame. to see the kids Shame. build stuff and like you mm-hmm. take them through the exercise and then they're like well no, like I want to build like this incredible thing and I'm like okay, go for it, right? Because you know, once the possibilities are open to them, once they get the feeling and the insight that oh it's within reach mm-hmm. it ignites a fire in their imagination and that that's great that this the city of San Rafael and you in particular and your colleague who we're not interviewing over there who I know can hear us is is part of yeah totally All right, so with a master's degree in library science mm-hmm. you said yeah for me, as a layperson, I think of libraries as a place for books. You know? mm-hmm. But as I'm talking with you, it seems more apparent a library is a source of information. 
Yes. So I would say, you know, there's an older model of librarianship, which is the idea of libraries as repositories for books. And so it's this one node that people come to and um, basically they, you know, it's like a warehouse for books and it's organized, which is great. But now, I think we, because, again, coming back to the information economy, we're bombarded by so much information every day. We have so much access to, you know, thinking about your ability to Google something. Like, you can go into a Wikipedia rabbit hole that is, like, hundreds of pages worth of information. Easy. And the part of the problem is that a lot of that information is not very high-quality information. You know, we're bombarded with so much information, but... A lot of it is garbage, basically. Um, libraries now, more and more, I think, are like transferring to community centers that help to act as filtration systems for quality of information. So when we provide resources on our website, you know, when we add things to our collection, it's through the lens of people who are professionally thinking about things like authority and information quality and fake news and doing what we can to create an environment that kind of like pushes back on the continuous stream of information that we're like firehosed with every single day. So in a sense, you're a gatekeeper of information. Yeah. How do you stay conscious of your own bias as a gatekeeper? Yeah, totally. And this is like a deep conversation in the community. Um, one thing is there's the American Library Association, which is kind of our, for us in Canada, and I, I want to say Mexico too. It's kind of the like national, you know, arbiters of quality library service. They have guidelines around basically how you develop a collection that's going to be interesting to everyone in the whole community. Even though that collection might house stuff that I personally think is, you know, not very high quality or even repulsive ideas to me, because we're devoted to the idea that, you know, this collection is not my personal things that I think are cool. It's something that anyone can come and make their own choice about what they want to consume. Yeah, gatekeeper's not quite the right word. Curator is a much better word because you're, you're bringing in multiple streams as opposed to keeping things out. Yeah, but I'd say you are a gatekeeper because you are you have the choice of what's being brought Well, in. and what he's saying is that there's a large body of people at, who have very highly refined senses of how to do this process who are making recommendations and people agreeing in large groups to have the kinds of standards that would allow for the broadest possible benefit to the public while at the same time maintaining some level of discernment. Mm. Right, and I think that's what the three of us would be in agreement with, that we're hoping people in places of authority, which I think our society is going to have as part of its structure for a long time, have consciousness so that their choices are coming from the consciousness. Well, and public libraries are responsible to their constituency because if you're on the board, you're, you know, and you make decisions that the public doesn't necessarily like, that you're subject to some review about that. And, and that's not necessarily something that makes me feel comfortable, right? Because that could go both ways. You could have mm. some suppression happen as a result of that. But it's also uh, another way of managing 
the way those things get t- decided. Two things popped in my head. The other night I was, heard this talk, and they said that right now more books have been banned in the last year than the last few decades. Yes. And I also heard that, um, was it Missouri? The state of Missouri decided to no longer give public funds to libraries. I don't know if it was Missouri. One of the states. Yes, totally. I also want to say it was Missouri. It's one of those M states, you know, but... um, No bias there. (laughs) Mistake. (laughs) Traditionally, libraries have... Even, I think, uh, you know, I don't know how much y'all talk about politics on your Oh, it's wide open. We can talk about anything we want. Okay, so traditionally, you know, even as we've gotten more and more polarized as a country, libraries have done a pretty good job of maintaining concept of, like, neutrality and, you know, giving voices to all sides or whatever. Um, That, I think, we're beginning to see that crumble. Um, Libraries are becoming polarized as, I think, the national conversation takes this turn towards people not wanting to see certain pieces of information available at all. So the vast majority of the bans that have taken place have been, especially for school libraries that have a lot less control than public libraries, but have been around LGBTQ issues and racial issues. Um, And I think as we see this social push towards people being like, I don't want my kid to like even know that gay people exist or that America has, you know, a a history of of like racialized institutions. Um, We are seeing that impact libraries because libraries traditionally have been a place where people have been able to access that information, even if it makes other people mad. You know, so like first I was raised in a conservative Christian household. And when I came out to myself, the only place I could find information about myself was at the public library. And my parents didn't know about it. And it would have like pissed them off if they'd known. Um, But that's part of the value of having this like public collection. And now we're seeing that, I think, it being endangered. Um, And it seems like one of the things that you've taken on as part of your vision and and mission for your own life is to be someone who stands for that ideal. Like you've devoted, to get a master's in library science is no joke. Mm -hmm. And to, to devote your life to then working in a field where the level of competitive salary is Gotta, it's kind of hard to make mm-hmm. a good living as a librarian and as a uh, curator. But I'm imagining, and you tell me if I'm correct, that you're doing part of why your motivation is to maintain as much open access to information. And as you said earlier, even stuff that you might not agree with because of the principle of open information. Right. So I have a question. Mm-hmm. How do you think the Internet Archive is doing in that battle to maintain open libraries? And are you familiar with who they are? Yes, totally. Um, in fact, our library, uh, you know, because when you work in a library, you discard books. That's part of your job. You know, eventually books wear out. They get removed from the collection. And our, until fairly recently, our library, all of those discards got sent to the Internet Archive for future digitization. Um, they told us to hold off because they were, we were giving them too much stuff. Um, but... Yes, I'm very familiar with the Internet Archive. I think they do really great work. Um, 
I will. My understanding is they recently lost a lawsuit with publishing houses around, you know, complaints from digital publishers that basically the Internet Archive had stepped on their toes early on in COVID by allowing more access than basically one person being able to check out a digital book at a time. Um, Internet Archive argued that was a emergency measure. It was in line with what a lot of other institutions were doing for COVID. And when the pandemic let off, they also stopped doing that. But the publishers were not happy with that. And so they have sued. Currently, they have won that lawsuit, but they're on appeal right now. Um, and by them, I mean the publishers have won that lawsuit. Oh. Yeah. And so the implications of this are hard to see ahead of time. Traditionally, libraries have been privileged around being able to like check out materials to people, even though we only buy one copy of it. That could change. You know. Well, and in the case of the Internet Archive, they've done a really good job of trying to create as broad a spectrum of materials, and that's why I brought them up, is this mm-hmm. idea of a broad spectrum of insights and still having a curatorial discernment about what you bring in. Mm-hmm. But also, I'll just say, um, I worked for them for two years, nice. and the, the founder, Brewster, has is the only person in the United States who's ever successfully fought an NSA cease and desist. Interesting. So he is completely dedicated and devoted to the principles that are enshrined in the Internet Archive of access to all knowledge. Right. Right? So, um, and as someone who's worked in that field, I respect your commitment to information and to your community and to Mm -hmm. the the idea that the next generations have to have access for this if we're going to change the things that are toxic about our culture. So good on you for doing the work. Thank you. Yeah, totally. One more, actually, two more questions. Mm-hmm. Foo Fighters or Eminem? I don't know. I've been I've been seeing a lot of really good um, like AI generated Eminem remixes recently, so I think that's what's on my mind at the moment. Uh, and who's a musical artist that we probably don't know that just totally like rocks your world where you're like you should check this person out? I would suggest Rez R E Z Z. They're a Canadian like EDM like techno artist and just pretty cool. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time and your efforts in, on behalf of the American public and the universal public. Yeah, totally. For talking to us today. For sure. Y'all have a good one. Yeah, Thank man, you. you too. Thank you, sir. Yeah, so we're looking at this record store day. I don't even think it's this year. It's a 2018 record store day release of Dennis Hopper and The American Dreamer, which is a double album set. I never even heard of this album. Is it a soundtrack? It is a soundtrack. It's in the soundtrack. Oh, yeah, original soundtrack recording, The American Dreamer. It's got to be a, a movie that he was in. Yeah. Uh, deluxe edition it was a thousand copies it's still sealed so buying it today what is it it was uh, six years later 
and it's still a, a record store day thing, it's probably worth something. It's, oh, it's, apparently it's worth $30, it says right on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so where are we? We're in Mill Valley Music, which is one of the great bastions of vinyl collections. And in fact, we could barely make it into the store. It's stacked to the rafters. There's just, it's like someone is a hoarder, but they're not. It's just a store. It's awesome. Yeah. I bet you there's everything you would want you could find in the store for vinyl. Well, I was thinking of asking him, like, hey, do you have the 45 of, um, you know, this Michael Jackson 45 that was the first song I, I bought when I was a kid? Oh, really? I was like, I don't see a ben. lot of 45. No, it wasn't Ben. It was before Ben. Oh, really? Um, so it's Jackson 5. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Jackson 5. Do you know the song? I did about a few minutes ago, but now, of course, because we're on... on, on Drugs. No, we're on the recording. I can't remember uh, shit. My, my adrenals just went, what? You don't have a memory? <laughs> um, was it uh, ABC? Oh, want to Be Where You Are is the uh, name of the track. Right. I want to be where you are. Oh, oh. Yeah, it's a good song. All right, we could ask him. Uh, we'll ask him if we have it. Well, what does this store mean to you, Greg? You live here in Mill Valley. Like, do you come down here and buy records? No, because I um, am in a place in my life where acquiring things is not a good idea. Right. And uh, so if I had a turntable and a place for vinyl to be stored, I'd be here a lot. Right. And our friend Mike has the all of the records from the Boho Collection, a big chunk of them. And I, I have a turntable. Yeah. So we should probably set something up that's you know, like a place where we can go and listen to vinyl. There's two records of mine that are in that collection that I regret giving away. What were they? Some Girls, the original release with all the girls' images. Uh-huh. Um, the original Andy Warhol one? Well, yeah, but it's like, because um, they got sued by Raquel Welch. Yeah, yeah, so it has all the original It girls. has all the faces. So it's worth something. And... Um, there's a 12-inch 45 that I have by Aztec Camera doing a cover of Van Halen's Jump. Oh, my God. I bet that's awesome. It's freaking amazing. And yeah. it starts off acoustic, really mellow, like, ah, you might as well jump. <laughs> and then it ends with this freaking guitar solo that kills. It destroys. I can't even. And that's juxtaposed awesome. with that acoustic. It's just brilliant yeah awesome so we're gonna go see if we can find is it glenn is that the owner of the store now 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 i'm spazzing out mentally gary gary that's it so we're gonna go see if we can talk to gary from mill valley music yeah and then we'll wrap this episode up Records are is it okay it's for us to record music, music? But yeah, I don't care as long as you're correct. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why. You know, and is it okay to record you? It is already. Okay uh, we're doing that now. Oh, I thought you already were. No. Yeah, we're on, we're on uh, record store day. Yeah. Yes. The uh, vinyl palace of Mill Valley. Ah, uh, that's sweet. No, I'd say I'm, that's really sweet. Thank so you. My water. here's my request. I don't see a lot of 45s. Do you have a paper towel, Gary? I just spilled water. Uh. Oh, perfect. 
We uh, we had shit hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands, but somebody bought the whole collection. Awesome. We do have some newish ones or more collectible ones, and we're starting to build it back upstairs. So the upstairs, there's we went looking. There's, yeah, so yeah. there ain't a lot, but there's there's two boxes there, and there's a box over there, I think. Awesome. But but yeah, we're pretty low on 45s. So we used to have a ton more. Hey. Do you have this vinyl called 1987, What the F is Going On, by Mystical Knights of Moo I think they were? That's English. really old, right? Yeah. No, really. no, no, no. All right. I love that you can ask him, and it's like Insta-catalog in there. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's like, stuff that, that stuff would be in the front, front section, you know, just because, uh, just because, uh, just because. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, the dementia hasn't set in yet, but give them a little longer. Eighty-six, sixty. I did find that Sunbolt. I know you're asking about it. Just, what about did you it? Find it? Yeah. Oh, you already it's, found uh, it. Okay. All right, I, I'm ready to. Word, I hope it's not that. <laughs> I heard someone asking about it. Yeah, no, I, that was me. Eighty-six, sixty. Well, you didn't want, you didn't want the tailor, right? Just these. Yeah, eighty-six, sixty. Get out. All right. I need out. I need out. I can't take it. I'm always like that when I come here. You know how little I know. You should have been here at 6.30. We had 27 people waiting to get in. That would have been the greatest time to interview. What time, what time did you open? 6.30. You did? Yeah, that's, that's it. Uh, did you need a receipt? No. What was the hot ticket? What was the hottest thing that flew out the door? Was uh, Wilco, Pearl Jam. What was the Wilco? Oh, it was the alternate. Yeah. Alternate yeah, so that stuff blew out here. Crazy stuff. Thank you. So Thank you. People come here for their vinyl gems, right? I'm being discovered more and more and more. <laughs> um, so, so, so people like they get frustrated at other places and they'll come here now. So, what's some of what's what's one of your vinyl gems? Should I shut up while you're adding? That's okay. You can talk. Yeah. One hundred eight twenty-five. Goes lower. <laughs> I probably multitask better than that. Probably, I probably more accurate when I've got other stuff on my mind. All right. So, what's one of the vinyl gems that you been your personal treasure? Where you're like, yeah. There's actually some really good stuff, but oh, good. I, I am a big uh, yes fan, and they did a yes concert from '72, which I think is pretty cool. So, I mean, so I'm, 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 I like that kind of stuff, and I'll probably take one myself because I got, a, I got plenty of them. Because you know, sometimes you don't get enough, you don't get enough, you know. And I can't, it's done. I can't, you know. Sometimes I get one of them. I like think the stones, the beggars' banquet's really cool. You know, like a splat, I guess, splatterish vinyl. Thank you. Thanks, man. Uh, so yeah. You, so, the, like those two that you just mentioned, are they in your personal collection? Well, I have the original. I've, well, the, the Yes one is new. I mean, it's never right. been out before. Um, it's just a concert. The I have the original Beggar's Banquet, so I don't know if I need a. Yeah. I don't know if I if I need oh, an, another one, but I have a lot, so I might. What do you, what do you need? <laughs> cool. Sir. Huh? Oh, uh, my brother said to pick up a sticker. Sorry. And where? Oh, these? No. No sticker. Oh, God. oh, there it is. <laughs> Looks like you got the last one. No, I got more. Um, I got more. What about a garage sale treasure that you came across where you're like, oh, my God, these people don't know what they have? Well, that's something you have to think about. Yeah, but <laughs> you know, I, mean, I, I mean, I, I got a... I mean, if you want to peek, there's a whole bunch of stuff I just picked up. You know, I don't usually do garage sales anymore mm-hmm. but because uh, it's... You know, there's too much competition nowadays, and you know, so most of them come to me. I, 
you know, or, or maybe I'll buy a collection. Someone call me, I'll buy a whole entire collection. But yeah, I, I uh, it's harder and harder to go out and search. You know, it just becomes. You know, but um, and do people bring stuff here to try and sell it to you? All the time. Yeah. And, and how does well does that work for you? Is that like a tough sell for them, or is well, it depends what the. I mean, it's it's like I always tell people the stuff that's what sells the best, even on the phone. And like, people don't buy classical that much. People don't buy pop that much. Big band that much anymore. So I would do. Um, you know, I'd say the, the best thing that sells the most is like classic rock, like Beatles, Stones, and Led Zeppelin. Uh, then it's like blues, certain kinds of jazz, like. Miles Monk, you know, Bill Evans, um, soul, uh, reggae, so those kind of things, you know, those those are the best seller things, so they have those kind of things, you know, then they make out well, because I mean, I, I'll, you know, if they're in good shape. Yeah. But then, you know, but a lot of times people will go, oh yeah, I have a jazz collection, and you go, like, oh, Andy Williams, jazz, no. <laughs> you know, so it's crazy, you know, but it, it's also like more and more thrift shops are getting really expensive, you know, it's like, like I think Goodwill just went to one around here. This went up to five bucks for records, and they got crap records for the most part. You know, so is there like a major like you've got your eye out for this one piece of vinyl that you'd really like to have for yourself? You mean for the new stuff? For you? Um, well, again, I think of the store first, so I only save them if I have multiple copies of stuff. It's like so I, I already said that I but like there's a Yes show from '72 that I'm and I have plenty of it. But I had what did I have? I had a couple, yeah. Oh, I had a. I'm a big. I'm a progressive rock fan, and I'm yeah. a big Porcupine Tree fan. They made 800 for the world, and they give every store one. So, wow. I, so I sold it, and I'm, I'm not gonna. Yeah, you're in business. Well, it's just, just, it just feels. It just feels more appropriate to live. But then there's a lot of things that you know I have one of, and I could have sold you know 20 of it. You know, so that's it's crazy. If they make 800 for the world, you know, that's, that's you know you, most stores are going to get one if you're lucky. You know, so, so yeah, that's one I probably would have got. You know, but but because I had one, I didn't. You know, I mean, like the, a few years ago, and you know, it's also how you approach a store. I mean, they did a. Uh, sticky fingers, like they, apparently they originally had released some uh, yeah. splatter vinyl to only to as a promotional item to like record executives and stuff. So they released like fifteen hundred or so for the entire world, and this is like a repress. You know? But they only made like fifteen hundred for the world. Maybe it's even less than that. So everybody got maybe got one, and it was a hundred dollars. It was like you know, so you know, I could have kept that. And it would it would have been worth you know probably you know, five hundred or grand later. Yeah, but you know, I sold it the first guy in the door. You know, and I don't know I don't know what he did with it. But I just don't feel it's right to do that. You know, right? That's your those are your values. It's yeah. like you're a source, and it's not yeah, just about. You know, and I actually feel bad when I only have one of something and you get 27 people and about 10 of them would want that. And I feel bad that, you know, I mean, I want everybody here, I legitimately want everybody here to get what they want. You know, it doesn't, and of course it's not going to happen. You know, so. Right, but you still live in that zone that's your heart of getting people what they want. And, I, and because of it, I order too much. You know, so, I mean, it takes me, I mean, I never, I mean, it's busy it is today. I'll never come close to paying it off, you know, so it takes 
takes weeks, maybe months to, to actually do that. And I have about 30 boxes of old Record Store Day stuff upstairs. Yeah, we were up there looking around yeah. for some amazing stuff. Yeah, so like, and there's good stuff, yeah. But, I mean, it's... We found a 2018 release of Re- for Record Store Day 2018 uh-huh. that was Dennis Hopper. <laughs> wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I don't even remember that one. It was a double album set. It was like, oh. Dennis Hopper. Yeah. It's wow. a soundtrack, a soundtrack to a, movie song. Uh, okay. Anywhere in New York. One of his films. Yeah. But I've never even heard of the film. Yeah. So, you know, so then they, I swear, you end up with a lot left over. And, uh, you know, and, and the Record Store Day experience. Like, I got really screwed on uh, Black Friday. Because what, what used to happen in just regular release stuff, like like The Grateful Dead, where they have like 10,000 copies. You, know, you used to have, have to have, and I do well with the Dead. So it used to happen is you have to order twice what you wanted to get what you wanted. Well, on Black Friday, it turns out that a lot of stores were not either participating at all, stopped, dropped out, or were doing less. And I got everything. I got everything I ordered, assuming I was going to get half of what I ordered. So I'm still, I'm still really eating that. I'm still really eating that well. You know? But, you know, so this time I was trying to be more careful, but I still, you know, I've got a lot of stuff. And, and you know, the, the things that there were multiples of, I, I did pretty well. But there are also... Uh, Things that you know, they're just ones and twos, you know. And in Romania, hey, Chris, no, I'm not gonna ever you still want that album? Or I, yeah, I was about to somebody offered me three times the amount, so you don't care. But out of, out of loyalty to you, I saved it. See, that's it, that's why it's I actually did have someone, and it's something I actually ended up with a lot of copies of because somebody wanted to buy something early. So, and I still have a lot of copies. It would have been easy to get, but he said, "I'll give you twice. I'll give you double." And, you know, you're not allowed to sell until the day. You know? so right. It's like, I really want to sell. And you until never know. I when really that's like somebody from yeah. ASCAP or BMI. Like, oh, you mean like Record Store Day Police? Yeah. <laughs> Do they even exist? It's theoretically possible because they have all kinds of rules. So if you don't follow them, you can be in. You're out. It's theoretically possible, but I think with some stores dropping out, I don't think they want to actually punish people like that. Right. I mean, because there's stuff on on uh, eBay before they're for sale. So how do those people know they're going to get it? You know, and stuff like that. So what I think what happens is a lot is I think some stores will go, Hey Joe, will you sell this for me and put it under your your name and whatever? Because right. so, because if, if if I do that. You know, then you can be busted for it. If I say Mill Valley Music is selling this for yada yada and it's like five times what it's supposed to be, you know, you can be busted for that. But if I say, Joe, will you sell this for me? I'll give you 20%. You know, who knows? I don't know. Yeah. It just seems like a lot, of, hey, a lot of this stuff is, is for sale before it's for sale. <laughs> you know, so I, I mean, how do you know you're going to get that item, you know? And do you do online sales of your regular stock? Do you have like an online? Nah, I'm, I'm a Luddite. I, I really don't like it. I mean, I I like the interaction with people. I like, you know, people coming in and buying stuff. I don't even like people waiting in line. I mean, I'm not like, you know, like Amiibo opens at 11 and they have a line around the block. You know? I, I'm, I'm, I'm like, oh, there's 27 people here at 630. That sucks. You know? yeah, they should be in here yeah. buying records. Let's open the door. <laughs> well, I try to do that, but, you know, so even like, you know, but that's why that's one reason I open early. So, you know, it would be too crazy. Nobody music. Right. was okay for him, but he's 
Hey, I am swamped right now. I cannot. Yeah, I'm, I'm really apologizing. But, uh, yeah, yeah, call like next week or something. The only thing Thanks. Bye. There's a poster guy from Minneapolis who wants to, to buy posters. But I have to mail it. That's a tough thing for me. I'm not a big online person. But I do have some good posters. I saw that. Yeah. Some vintage film. Well, I mean, I have a bunch of stuff in the back, too. Uh, you all set? Are you all set? Wait. Are you all set? Have you had iTed called about Violet Femmes? Picture disc? Yeah. Thank you. Okay. You want to look around, or you? Gonna, I think just I'll get this, but um, okay, okay. Thank you. If you're you were there, you were there. Thank you. Are you Tina? Yes, I okay. am. Yeah, thanks so much. I really right? appreciate it. <laughs> and Paul's gonna get uh, 32, 3248. Oh, I'm so excited! Thank you. What's this one? Did you ever see him live? I did. Yeah, at Bottle Rock. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was amazing. They did this album like start oh, to finish. Sweet. It was so good. Can you receive anything? Elvis Christmas. Really lucky. <laughs> <laughs> We're good. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, that's the one thing, you know, people people go to other stores and then they and then they don't find it. So then they try to shop the phone. It's like shit, I don't know. Do you want me to go fucking look through my room all my stuff? I wanna we're gonna play that. Okay, because you know, I bought this about two years ago. No, they're amazing. I do. But it's this insertion, and it's insane. Shut up! No, 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 no
hanging out with people and do episodes. So this was sort of an experiment to see what we can do. Okay, we'll get some time. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. How are you all? We do a video on the screen, but the podcast is You guys got more questions? Yeah. Because I have two questions. Go ahead. Go ahead. I've been honored to be at one of your listening fests with albums. Oh, we're doing it again. Another one in June. Oh, okay. So yeah, it just got announced. June 16th. What do you... What's the criteria of choice for you for when you're going to... Well, we usually do a year. We usually do a year. So okay. it's usually we pick a year and then I go through my stuff here and at home and find all the stuff again from that year, you know, and bring it in. This next one is going to be on psychedelia. So probably more 60s, 70s, you know, because if someone comes up with a 40-minute song, I'm going to have to, you know, play. I'm only playing three minutes of this dude. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, stuff like White Rabbit and, you know, all that kind of stuff and maybe some love and things Moby like that. Grape. Yeah, stuff like that, you know, so... Charlatans. Uh, Charlatans. Charlatans, yeah. Hey, how are you? But, uh, yeah, but oh, anyway, that's the, the idea is we'll do more... Patrick, we'll, we'll do, uh, you know, more... Psychedelic type things. Right, so cool. that's, that's the theory. That's the, you know, but that just got this like, confirmed like last week. So, right. you know. so Saturday, no Friday, June sixteenth. Right. Yeah, this is kind of one of our patent questions of our podcast. Eminem or Foo Fighters? For me, well, if I had to, if I have to pick one of those, it's Foo Fighters. Yeah. <laughs> but I would like again, you know, I would I'd rather do like Pink Floyd or something. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. Yeah. Thanks for your time, Gary. Oh, that's it? Well, do you have more? I don't know. Sure. <laughs> I, I Questions are good. He's got more yeah, answers. They're, um, good. they're good. Question good. Question good. <laughs> we, we might respond. <laughs> You're a yes fan. Yes. What about the whole fiasco with the lead center? I think it sucks. I think it's I think it's very small minded of all parties. Apparently there's a big rift between John Anderson and Steve Howe now that they won't you know, you know. I mean it all started with with John Anderson got sick and they wanted right. to go on tour and it took a while. Right. So that kind of thing. And then he got better and they said, Well, we have a sinner. We have what? <laughs> well, he well yeah, better. but he's not a good and you know, he's not as good. Right. You know, and, then, right. and so now you kinda like got half a yes, you know, and you know, like he's out and John Anderson's on tour with a pretty good band supposedly, you know. Okay, most underrated 60s Oh, good question. Underrated? Yeah. By cult underrated or popular underrated? Uh, people who forgot. I mean, like, I think Love is probably an underrated 60s people rock have band. Yeah. Love, probably. Love's a good one, you know. Last night I pulled out my Savoy Brown records. Well, they're not rock, they're kind of blues. Rock blues? Yeah, you can say, you can say rock blues, but. 30, 31. Can you take a 50? Yeah. You won't get anything back. Yeah. Take it. I broke it. <laughs> Are you an Umaguma fan? I like it. I like it. I mean, it's not my favorite of them all, but I like it a lot, you know, yeah. for sure. Thank you. And the 50th anniversary of Dark Side is when? 
isn't it? It's now. It's, I mean, they have their racing box right. sets and all kinds of things. Right, right, right. But I, I think that the way they're doing it is just crappy. You know, it's just crappy. They're like they they did a, a live Wembley show in '74 with they, all the dark side. They edited it, put on one record, and it made it overpriced. You know, so, so stuff like that. You know. And there's a box set that's like completely unnecessary. They did an immersion box with a Blu-ray and all kinds of really cool stuff in it. You know, um, a while ago. And it's just like, why are you doing that? You know, it's just like you you, you want to give you. I mean, it's like well, we talk about as a store. You know, as, if, I, if I was a band, I would want to give people something special. You know, I mean, something like you know. So the Wembley thing's been out before on the in the box set, but as far as uh, yeah, I should have it. Where? Probably that room. Yeah. But I, I mean, there's all kinds of places. If, I mean, I can help you later, but they should have it. No, if you just point me out, I will. Uh, hey, he's looking for Lippy. I think he's looking for collections. Collections are at the end of the rock section. On collections. Collections. He's looking for collections. I think. Well, he's or, looking for like big band CDs. Is it? Oh, big band is in the hermits. Yeah. yeah. If we have that stuff, uh, hang on one sec. Where's that going to be? In this store. This is going to be quick because we're in Mark's truck with the windows closed so that it's quiet and it's hot as fuck. Oh, that'll be too much noise. There goes the whole reason for it. Wow, this was awesome. It was awesome. We met some people. Things happened that we didn't expect to happen that reaffirmed the whole premise of this idea of spontaneity and connecting people with the, to by the from the heart, with the heart, to the heart. And... Uh, Wow, that interview with John, that was a surprise. Uh, James. James. Yeah. That was a surprise. That was, like, you guys won't be able to see the expressions on his face when you hear him talking, but that was, like, a deeply emotionally moving experience for me. Um, And then just meeting these people and seeing how eager they are to tell their stories was very affirming of the whole concept of, of us going out there and finding people yeah so what do you think by episode 200 um we'll have mopeds and we hit the blue highway um i want to hit the blue highway as soon as possible and i think if we commit to getting mopeds as the first step then anything's possible like let's just commit to getting mopeds as soon as possible and talk about what that looks like. Like if any of you are listening to episode 100 right now and you know someone who wants to donate a moped to us or someone who runs a moped company who would sponsor the show, Moped Outlaws, that's like a pretty badass brand to be sponsored by so or to receive sponsorship. So we're, we'll, we are going to make it happen and let's not set a, a goal that's out there in the future. Let's set it as, as if it's now. We're gonna hap- it's going to happen ASAP. Come on. All right. So how was your experience? It was brilliant. Yeah, I think, um, as you said, proof of concept, we can do this. And uh, James was a definite gem um, and very moving. It was uh, sitting with that gentleman and just seeing the pain in him was uh, profound. And I was also struck by the way he was constantly creating the new possibility like oh um yeah i have an apartment i don't really go to but i'm gonna start a magic school there like oh fuck yeah yeah i know that was brilliant yeah 
And you should know, guys, that he was wearing these amazing pieces of jewelry on his fingers. Yeah. Like he he looked like, uh, you know, there's uh, this is street magician, not street musician, but street magician. He looked like he could, you know, wield some magic. He looked like he was from another realm. Yeah, he definitely was too. The way he oh, vibed he was, in. Yeah. yeah, he was channeling some different, you know, vortexes and layers of yeah. timelines and alternate universes. But oh, uh, the crew at Red Whale—that's how our day started. And that, Red Whale's a gem. Yeah, that's your and my one of our personal favorites. Oh yeah, without a doubt, it's like the go-to coffee place. Yeah. that I would you know, and I don't drink caffeinated coffee anymore, so it's all about flavor for me. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, well, I'm getting better. Okay, it's okay. getting more healthy. All right, it's good. Yeah. So, episode 100 in the can. Yeah. Episode. And then, of course, Mill Valley music, like, there was a lot of love there, and you and I were in our element. It just felt like we were home. Yeah, and I love how chaotic it's going to be for you guys to listen to it and just be like, oh, man, there's four conversations all happening at once. Which one do I listen to? And, uh, you know, it, it's... Uh the the equipment game is going to have to improve too so we're definitely going to like be talking to moped companies and to the zoom company to see if we can upgrade on the the audio over time but you know we are in this for the long haul because there's so much joy and vibrance and storytelling here and it's going to take us places and reveal things to us that we can't possibly anticipate and that is just an amazing thing and we want to take you on the ride with us so hop on the back of the moped so you're in for another hundred oh yeah for sure all right i'm in all right recording stopped